episode 100 of the Cricket Her Weekly. Sid, you've had a haircut especially to celebrate, haven't you? I own my shirt too. <laughs> Which I'm sure that those people listening um, on the audio-only version will really appreciate. So, Thank you. Um, can you believe it? Um, when we started this weekly um, episode, it was... Um, we, well, we were right in the, the heart of the first lockdown in the UK and we were bored, we had nothing to do. And we just thought, why not? Let's, you know, chew the cud and let's turn on the camera and record us chewing the cud. Yeah. And and here we are, 100 episodes later. Here we are. It's been wonderful. Great. Well, hopefully people are still enjoying it and still tuning in. (laughs) Now, that's the happy bit of the this week's episode over with because... that's it that's the only happy bit <laughs> well, we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the ashes and we're english so yeah exactly um and we did we did a sort of almost like a mini post-mortem last week didn't we um but we hadn't had the third odi at that point we now have had the third odi and to be honest it didn't really go much better than the second or the first odis did it no um <laughs> england are very mortem they're about as mortem as it's possible to be <laughs> Okay, um, but there were a couple of changes to the team. Um, they, well, three I think. So they brought in Tash Farrant and Freya Davies, didn't they? And um, they also, the probably the most significant change potentially going into the World Cup was bringing Emma Lamb into open instead of Lauren Winfield Hill. Was that the right call, Sid? What did you make of that decision? That's a really good question. I speculated going into the second ODI, by which time you know everything was basically lost, and um, you know I, I said you know there's, there's there's nothing to be gained here, you know from from the series itself. So I speculated that England might want to bring in Emma Lamb at that point. Um, obviously, that would be for Lauren Winfield Hill. Um, I should stress again, as I stressed last week, that I don't think that Lauren Winfield Hill is the reason that England lost the Ashes. Um, you know, nobody with the bat really performed as they would want to be through it, throughout the entire series. But you know, she was the person that was obviously going to make way for Emma Lamb. Um, so I speculated about that. It didn't happen in the second ODI. Going into the third ODI, therefore, I actually didn't think they should do that um, because I felt that you know that giving someone a try but only giving them one match, you know, it's it's like it's like throwing a lamb to the wolves, Raf. <laughs> See what I Very did good, Sid. Well done. Well, I mean, you know, you. It, we couldn't yeah. have our one hundredth episode pass without you making without a, a terrible pun. dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I th- so I thought there was it was it's quite tough going into that situation where yeah. you know you're going here's a try it's just one game. Yeah. Um, and then look what happened. You know, she faced what three balls, didn't score any runs. And lamb to the slaughter, unfortunately. Got out to a good ball. Yeah. Um, you know, if, unless you read the BBC's report, oddly, which said it was a straight ball. And I went back to look at it again. It didn't look very straight to me. It looked like an excellent ball. You know, and it, the credit to, you know, all of the Australian bowling. They kept the pressure on England. You know, this this is not just a story of England having, you know, collapse with the bat again. You know, some great bowling and none more so than, you know, that those three balls that Perry bowled to Lamb, which ended in, you know, Lamb walking back to the pavilion on her first ODI, her first proper bat in a match, of course technically batted in her her one T twenty appearance but didn't actually face the ball. Yeah. She was at the other end. Um 
So her first first chance to actually face a ball in international cricket, and it's against Elise Elise Perry, and not just Elise Perry, but a rampant Elise Perry yeah. that's obviously like full of confidence, and you know an Australia team that you know for whom the Ashes were won, and you know this was a, this was the celebration party, if you like. Yeah. Um, you, have, so, you have to really feel for Emma Lamb. Those yeah. two situations she's been. And everyone was talking about, cricket. oh, you know, well, we, we we wanted to take a look at Emma Lamb, and it just feels. Uh, um, Lisa, yes. So Lisa said on on when she was on that microphone thing at, at the side of the pitch. Um, oh, you mean the bit where she said I've told them to really go out and go for it when they'd literally been crawling along at but one she and said, over. She said we wanted to take a look at Emma Lamb, and I just don't feel that's how you take a look yeah. at someone. One one game at the end of a series when you know it, it never felt like England were going to get that consolation win. You know, we've seen many times in the past that teams go off the boil if they've already won the series and you know teams often get a consolation win in the fifth match don't they yeah um or you know or the fifth match of a test series and in, in the men's game or the third or fifth match at odi even did that in 2019 right they got they a, won the a, last t20 yeah. so it was it, quite funny because um england had won the match and then they did the the ashes presentation, presentation. at the end <laughs> and all the australians were like yay we lost the match but we won the series ha ha anyway, um, but it didn't really didn't didn't feel like the australians time. were going to let that happen this no. time so really tough situation yeah. for for Lamb to come in to, and you know it, it didn't work out. I just really hope that she's she's given more options. I'm sure she will be. Okay, I think that um, England. I sort of reflected last week, but I think that England can take some positives from the bowling the bowling performances. Um, I do think absolutely, Raf. Um, I I read something this week saying oh Catherine Brunt was the best bowler she was the leading wicket taker in the series and that means that she shouldn't retire um, she's sort of she's been hinting at retirement for years and she's her latest is that she's going to go after the Commonwealth Games and yeah the Commonwealth um, Games in Brisbane <laughs> but it's like um, I, and and saying oh she can't retire now because England need her because she's their best bowler um, and I just don't agree with that I think that Catherine Brunt needs to think about Catherine Brunt to be honest rather than the team she really needs to um, focus on her own health and and how long can she keep doing this to her body yeah of course they they didn't think she was able to play the last two ODIs you know and other players did play yeah. those those matches yeah and so. that's the that's the that's the flip side of this isn't it is that actually um in terms of being worried about England's bowling stocks I'm not really um we only got to see a tiny bit of Tash Farrant in this series um she's obviously the kind of the left arm option um I think Freya Davies bowled really well in the third ODI I was so impressed with her control and um you know just um, really had Alyssa Healy totally um, beaten and she should have got her yeah, the first she ball she bowled to her there was another ball that was basically the best ball ever bowled that didn't take a wicket yeah and then obviously she did eventually get Healy's wicket um, and when you can bowl like that I'm one of the best players in the world I think that that's um, that says a lot about somebody who really has been quite underused by England um, and as well as that, we've also talked previously about Kate Cross. Um, she's definitely got a few more years left um, and seems to be really kind of coming to the top of her game recently. Um, and we yeah. haven't even seen Lauren Bell this series. Um, she was in the was in the squad for the test and was kind of around for the ODIs, but wasn't used. Um, and you know, I, I don't really need to talk about Lauren Bell that much because you've done it all for me in previous episodes, Sid. But yeah, she is the she is the next big thing and a really exciting prospect for England. So I'm not really worried about um, when Catherine Brunt chooses to retire, to be honest. Yeah, and yeah, Shrubsole as well looks yeah. back to back to her best. I mean, she's definitely you know she's bowling the best that she has you know since 2017, I think. Um, yeah. So you know, and that's 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 not bad timing. 
you know so if it's, it's funny isn't it it's just the batters now need to kind of keep up with the bowlers again it's these things can go in quite quick cycles yeah and you wrote a piece for cricket her this week Sid that was sort of a little bit reflecting on that um, but it was kind of overall um, what's England's team going to look like for the next Ashes down under um, which will be you thought was 2025 did you say? Yeah sort of 20 years about four years time isn't okay. it? Um, so yeah that, it, was, it, was, it was supposed to be a fun little piece just bigging up some younger players unfortunately it kind of it seemed to upset quite a lot of people which I was I was myself a bit upset about honestly because I genuinely didn't mean to you know have that reaction and I, I felt a little bit sad that people had obviously read it and got upset about it obviously the people that were upset were people that you know weren't mentioned or felt that people that they favored weren't mentioned and you know I, I just named 11 players that could be in the, in the squad next time we go down under in four years time um, and I focused very much on young players I explicitly said I wasn't going to deal with I was going to ignore everybody that was going to be 30 or more in four years time um, but it, it did a kind of kind of showed that we you know there, there's definitely a core of a team you know that that will be available in four years time and you know we've got some young prospects coming through but what we really need to do is make sure that you know that we give them the attention and the focus that they yeah. deserve and the, the high quality cricket um, and the, the big thing that I wanted people to take away from that piece actually was not so much even the, the talent it was the focus on you know ensuring that these people get the high quality cricket that that we need them to get because these players aren't ready yet to take on Australia um, and if they stand still they won't be ready to take on Australia now we've talked a lot about Alice Capsi um, for example and it's just one example Capsi bingo ding um, and you know we've said that Alice Capsi has the you know the capability and the talent to be the best player in the world but she's not going to be the best player in the world if she stays where she is she needs to work hard for the yeah. next four years and all of these other players do and then they will be able to step up and challenge Australia and we need to help by giving as a, as a game but well, not us personally but, but, but the teams need to help by giving them proper game time giving them proper exposure in the hundred not you know it needs to be you know people like Danny Gibson not batting down at eight and you know maybe getting one or two overs in the entire competition you know they need to be batting at four or five um yeah. or bowling you know their full full quota of balls and i did make one you know slight suggestion that maybe we need to put in a playing condition in the hundred that actually forces this upon teams that that says you know if a player doesn't bat in the top five they must bowl their full quota of deliveries and you know the other way around if a player um doesn't bowl say more than five deliveries they must bat in the top five and that will be ensure that it forces the team to not depend on their international all-round stars but to so, give opportunities so that to those. playing condition will be in place just for your english players would it i don't see why it wouldn't be in place for everybody but effectively it would only apply to your english players okay i mean i think that by doing that you might end up with people sitting on the sidelines rather than actually getting in the 11 potentially um, and I also think that, that, that the ECB are really unlikely to introduce that playing condition because they see the 100 as their kind of um, shop window for women's cricket and they want it to be the best quality, therefore. Um, and they might see that playing condition as compromising on that. Other yeah, than that, it's a, it's a great idea. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the other option is just to lean on the sides to play these yes. people more. Um, but, but the simple truth is that it's going to be harder to lean on sides in the 100. We, we know that Mark Robinson, are we allowed to say this? Yeah, we probably are. Mark Robinson leaned on sides during the KSL. Oh yeah, that's to, kind of common knowledge. To, isn't it? to play people in particular of positions. Of course he did. He wasn't but always successful. A lot of the sides didn't. <laughs> yeah. And I think that Mark Robinson was in a much more influential position to lean on KSL sides than anybody is to lean on hundred sides. Yeah. So I, I just can't see you know Trevor Griffin get, taking a call from Lisa Kitely going, can you bat you know, 
can you back um, Grace Griffin's higher up the order? And Trevor Griffin going, yeah, okay, he's just going to be like, well, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Well, and it's always and, been know, this thing this thing of, do we yeah. actually, you know, if you're Trevor Griffin, you want the Sunrisers to win. Of course, yeah. So That's not the tough 100. One. That's, that's the RHF and the, and the Charlotte Edwards yeah. Cup, isn't it? But it's, you know, whatever the, whatever the equivalent is. Anyway, we digress. London spirit? Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, so... So, Raph, thinking back to, to, you know, talking of Mark Robinson, thinking back to 2019, um, this, this Ashes series, we haven't had quite the kind of disaster that was Canterbury 2019, mm. which, of course, was the, the first nail in the Mark Robinson coffin, if you like. That was, you know, the, the, the point at which it all started to go wrong for him and ultimately led to him losing his job. And yet... You know, the numbers are actually worse than 2019 and, you know, because we haven't won a game. Better or worse than 2019, in a word? I think the numbers are actually the same, aren't they? Because of... Yeah, because of the draws they probably yeah. are, sorry. But we haven't won a game this time, so better or worse? In a word, Raph. In a word. Better. Okay. Go Am I on. allowed to have more words now yeah, or is that it, the end of it? No, if the... it was just one word, it would make quite a boring cricket in a weekly. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say better... Okay. Um, I have thought about this a lot. Um, I think that we have been quite quick to forget the memory of the test, um, can I say? Because um, that the way in which England fought so hard on that fourth day to try and win the test um, was actually so exciting and better than any display that we saw from them in 2019. Um, I also think that the way that Heather Knight batted in the test, yes, she was partly forced to do that because everyone around her was totally crumbling, um, so that's a, a bit of an indictment on the rest of the top order. Um, but that innings is going to go down as one of the great innings in women's test cricket. Um, and we didn't have anything like that in 2019. Um, so there's that. Um, and in terms of kind of um, just thinking... Just thinking overall, um, I think that winning the Ashes down under was always going to be a bigger ask this time around than trying to win them at home in 2019. Um, and also, I do think that our bowlers have performed better this time around. Um, I think that generally, in, in pretty much every match, the bowlers have been um, have been good. Um, and you know, one of the things that people often forget about that um, that match at Canterbury in 2019 is that even um, by the time that Elise Perry came out to bowl at the England batters, um, the, the match was sort of already half lost because England would have already required a record run chase. Um, yeah. I think they would have needed to get 280 or something in order to win that game. So they were already going to be really, really tested um, and have to really put on a, a top-class performance with the bat in order to win that game. Um, so, um, to, you know, to some extent, the bowlers were culpable at Canterbury as well. Um, whereas I think in this series, it's really it has been mainly the batting that's failed. Um, so that's what I'd say. What do you think? Yeah, it's I. It's it. There's definitely it feels quite hard to compare them really, especially having watched one of them entirely live and one of them entirely on TV. And you, your perspective is always slightly yeah. influenced by what what you're watching on TV and what the commentators are saying. Um, I do think that the fact that Canterbury was a particular low point. Um, you know, and we haven't had that particular low point, uh, you know, and we have seen a bit of fight from England. But on the other hand, if the result winds up being the same, then you know, th th they still didn't still didn't bring home the Ashes. So it's, it's it's disappointing, but I guess not unexpected. 
It's a case of how catastrophic the defeat is um, and who, therefore, who gets blamed because obviously they, they needed somebody to blame last time and they blamed Mark Robinson. Um, I think that this time they've kind of been saved from that because of the World Cup coming up so quickly. Yeah, and also by the fact that, of course, there were very few English journalists down there. So that, and, and, and in fact, practically no, no or no, absolutely no English journalists that weren't actually really there to do um, TV and radio. Yeah. Um, of course, the way this works, I'm for the benefit of, of you guys out there, is that um, you get paid so little for written journalism that effectively the only way you can fund a trip, unless you want to do it, you know, to, and make a loss, is to be working on the TV. So unless you're working on the TV, you can't realistically go and cover these Ashes series at anything like what you might call a salary. So it winds up with these series. Um, and it's happened in spades this time that the only people covering it are people that are either working on radio or TV or people that are living in Australia. Yeah. Um, so we've had little attention has been paid to it comparatively by the English media. And I think that England have lucked out a bit there because, you know, the, the big guns haven't been gunning for them. Yeah, and obviously, just practically, with all of the matches happening overnight, that makes it harder if you're in England to try and cover it because you have to do what we did and just lose sleep. Um, so there's that as well. Okay, let's move on, Sid. Um, we're moving on from the Ashes. Now we've got to focus on the World Cup. Yep. Um, and that's the case, really, uh, for the England camp. And we have had now the England World Cup squad announcement this week. Um, probably no big surprises. Uh, maybe like a couple of um, sort of headlines would be Emma Lamb's been included, um, which is really interesting. Um, do you yeah, want to I talk think, about that. Is, yeah, are they going to open after, with her? I think that after you know throwing her in for that third ODI, they really had to include her in the yeah. in the squad for the World Cup in New Zealand. Um, you know, can you imagine if they included her in that that third ODI? They she got a you know three ball duck, and then they'd go they go okay, bye, see you in the summer. <laughs> um, that that would have been so unfair. Yeah, it would. And Absolutely. they didn't do that. Um, so yeah, so. You know, and she's deserved deserved an opportunity there. Yeah. I think it's it's not not the ideal opportunity that you'd give to somebody because obviously you know going into a World Cup is a different kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you'd have bedded her in a you know a series against one of the weaker countries perhaps, and you know given her more opportunities going forward. But I'm sure she'll take it. You know, you get you take your opportunity where it comes, right? Yeah. Um, and I would expect her to play in the opening games of the World Cup. Um, at the top of the order. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, so I, I think that, that that's the decision that it looks like they're going to make. I don't see why you know they wouldn't do that. Um, but prepare to be surprised, I guess. Okay, so that's um, that was so one, that's one of the headline. headlines. Um, the other the other thing people talked about a lot on Twitter was Sarah Glenn not going. Mm. Um, but it turned out there was more to that, wasn't it, Raph? Yeah. Um, so um, England basically sort of. Um, admitted that she had been offered um, one of the reserve spots so we uh, each team has um, they can take up to three reserves um, and those three reserves will have to go through quarantine um, and then will basically not be able to play in the tournament um, unless there is um, an injury or kind of COVID and then you can swap people in but you have to then commit to them being in the squad for the rest of the tournament um, so you can't just kind of swap people in and out um, so, I mean, obviously those, um, you know, those reserve spots are not going to be particularly attractive because effectively you're having to go through exactly the same um, kind of privations as, as the rest of the team, um, exactly the same quarantine um, with a really, it being really, really unlikely that you're going to get a game. Um, so Sarah Glenn was apparently offered um, one of England's two reserve spots. They've, taken, they've decided to take two reserves. Um, 
and she said no, which is is fair enough. She's she's trying to protect her mental health, isn't she, Sid? Yeah, and it's it's going to be you know a tough experience, isn't it, Raph? Yeah. Because you know, well, where are England now? They've flown to New Zealand. What what's happening now? I guess they're out on the field training and mm. running up and down. No, no. Ah. Um, and this is something that um, apparently. Um, the the squads were hoping that there was going to be a little bit of a less strict quarantine and that after the first couple of days um, they would be let out and actually be able to train um, in obviously in very um, supervised conditions and um, you know n- not your kind of normal I oh, will just walk tr- you know walk over to the ground and and uh, and get some get some hitting in the nets going on it would have been obviously very controlled and that's what's happened on previous tours of New Zealand during the pandemic. Um, that the, the quarantine hasn't been totally harsh, but they've said no. Um, they've actually said that the teams will now be in quarantine for 10 days and they won't be able to leave their rooms to train. Um, so it's going to be very, very harsh quarantine. And the reason okay. for that um, is um, because when you've got that many teams doing quarantine simultaneously, the New Zealand um, kind of cricketing authorities simply don't have the resources um, or the, the the space to give everyone the opportunity to leave their hotel rooms and go to the grounds and do the training and then come back. So if you've only got two teams, if it's a bilateral series, well, only one team at that point, um, then you you know it's much easier to manage. Yeah, the logistics are easier. Yeah, whereas if you've got, what would it be, six teams, because India are already there, um, if you've got six teams doing it, then trying to juggle them all um, is going to be next to impossible, and you have you have to do it so that it was stringently fair. Otherwise, you know that would that would not be um, a kind of a proper way to conduct a, a world tournament. So that's that's the situation. So that's what England are currently doing at the moment, and it is going to be very tough for them. Um, I do think it's really interesting though um, that India are going to avoid that. I mean, because they've already done their quarantine. Um, and I think they possibly were able to train during their quarantine. But anyway, because they've got this bilateral series that's currently going on with New Zealand as a sort of warm up to the World Cup, they're going to be much more in tune with the conditions and just much be- in much better condition to go into the World Cup um, right, right from the off and, and be really all, all cylinders um, firing. Whereas I think some of the other teams are going to struggle with that because they're only going to have been a few days out of quarantine. Um, so I think it's it's a really big opportunity for India, isn't it? Well, it might be Raf. Um, uh, so well, that brings us on to our final, you know, final topic of the week. Yeah. Our, and finally, um, in the immortal words of Trevor McDonald. Um, so and finally, India in New Zealand. Um, they're already playing matches, as you've said. Now we discussed this over breakfast earlier in the week, Raf. Um, and what did you say would happen? I said that India would win. And, and and what did I say would happen? You said that New Zealand would win. And what happened in the in the one T twenty RAF? New Zealand won. And what happened in the first ODI RAF? New Zealand won. Wow, there we go. Can I just say, in my defence, that I said this before we learned that um, Smriti Mandana was um, going to remain in quarantine. Um, for the possibly the duration of the series, which she certainly hasn't been able to play in the two matches that have taken place so far. So can I say that in my defence? No, Raf, I'm going to cut that bit. <laughs> That's not fair. Anyway. <laughs> okay, um, let's wrap things up. Um, it, thank you so much for your support over the last hundred episodes. Um, we've enjoyed 
making them most of the time. We yeah. hope you've enjoyed watching and listening. Um, if you've got any particular highlights, any stupid jokes of SIDS that you remember, um, any favourite episodes, then do comment and let us know. Um, we, we really love hearing your comments. Um, and um, do, if you're on YouTube, then um, click like, click subscribe to our channel. Um, that really helps us. Um, and if you're listening to this because you can get it as a podcast only now um, if you're listening then do subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform or on multiple platforms <laughs> um, it, it's all helpful to us um, and we like to know that people are listening as well yeah. Um, so keep but supporting us. Thanks so us. much for your support. We're, yeah. we're really grateful for it. Um, you know, we're doing this for love, and it, it 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 means a lot to us that people do actually watch this, and you know, to see the viewers click up, and so that's it's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.